The year is 1994, and the animated adaptation of one of Hans Christian Andersen's classic stories is released in theaters. Some say it's a lackluster version of the fairy tale, but does it truly deserve that reputation? I'm Luana Saita. And I'm Travis Kirkland. And this is Defend Your Trash Movie. Welcome back to another fine time on this fine show that we call Defend Your Trash Movie, the podcast that examines bad movies and misrepresented films to see if they're actually good. And Luana, we wrapped up uh, a big summer blockbuster run. We we did some of the biggest action blockbusters uh, of cinema uh, still going to these days. Uh, But, you know, I think uh, we need to take a little bit of respite, you know, a little go a little small but something gentler perhaps. yes something gentler but before we go a little jet more gentle i think we need to get a little bit more prestigious something worthy of celebration exactly and that's why we are going to return to what our most distinguished segment the dytm top 100 our very personal hall of fame Yes, yes. And uh, listeners, of course, you may be familiar with the American Film Institute's top 100 films of all time, the AFI top 100. Well, this is the Defend Your Trash Movie top 100, where we nominate films to build our personal list of the top 100 films of all time. And of course, this isn't just us simply filling up the ranks with movies we like. We have we have a very serious vetting process where not only do we have to put forth a movie, but both of us, Luana and I, must approve that it is worthy enough to be on our top 100. Now, previous entries have been Evil Dead 2, The Mask of Zorro, and Toy Story. And I don't know if you know this, Luana, but uh, I think, uh, but, you know, I think it's very interesting. Uh, So we put Toy Story on our list, you know, a good many months ago, right? Mm -hmm. The time between then and now, Pixar announced they're making Toy Story 5. Oh, seriously? I hadn't uh, Yeah. Yes, officially they are going to make Toy Story 5. And, uh, you know, just saying, uh, you know, as we have pointed out, word does get around Hollywood if a movie makes the DYTM Top 100. So I do not think it is a cosmic coincidence. (laughs) that pixar is moving forward with another toy story movie after we have uh, given it such grand decoration they knew that you know the 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 tastemakers on the internet uh, were uh, proclaiming their uh their uh their their well their taste i guess yeah they're like yeah if if those two uh say that uh, something's hot then we got to jump on it we yeah we gotta we gotta recoup the costs from elemental <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all these all these things coming in at once but let's see <laughs> if that same halo effect can apply to uh another movie and uh the 
filmmakers attached to that. So, Luana, I believe you have a movie that you would like to nominate, and we will vet for the top 100. Yes, my choice is somewhat cruel, as uh, our today's uh, episode movie is Thumbelina, 1994, um, Don Bluth um, release. And um, for those of you who um, are aware of animation history, there, there was a big rivalry going on between, between Bluth and um, uh, Bluth and Disney. Bluth was, of course, a disgruntled Disney employee. And uh, Disney was kind of cock-blocking Bluth uh, at, at, uh, at uh, certain points where they would, like, re-release uh, Disney movies at uh, certain points to uh, mess with his income, mess with uh, the box office takes whenever there was a Bluth movie out. So considering that this episode is uh, Thumbelina, my choice for the um, <laughs> for the um, Defend Your Trash Movie Hall of Fame is The Lion King. Okay, The Lion King. Well, this is, of course, uh, I don't think, you know, obviously, we don't have to really give any background on The Lion King. Everyone knows The Lion King, one of the high points of Disney animation, one of the high points of the quote-unquote Disney Renaissance era of Disney animation. But uh, why of the entire oeuvre of Disney animation, why are you putting forth The Lion King above all else? When I was a, a kid, the um, animated movies of Disney, and heck, Don Bluth as well, I suppose, um, they were, uh, the media landscape was, of course, very different. Um, Nowadays, you know, you just log into your favorite streaming service and, uh, hell, a kid can watch YouTube, TikTok, whatever. But um, back in the 90s, you basically had TV. Um, you could go to the movies if you had a movie theater close to you. If you didn't, uh, you'd have to, you know, whine to your mom or dad to go go take you to the movies. Um, if, you had, if you had the money, you had a VCR. You could buy, buy tapes. And uh, tapes, of course, VHS were were uh, a lot less, um, a lot more limited, let's say, than our current carrier, the the Blu-ray. No menus, no no language selection, no uh, chapter selection, no 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 extras, whatever. It was just a copy of of the film, a single uh, copy, one one version. Um, maybe, maybe you'd get some, maybe you'd get some trailers in, in front of it, but. That, that would be it you know it would uh, you could rewind it you could fast forward it you could pause it. that's basically it if you lived in a non-english speaking territory you'd get a you 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 might have the choice between subs or dubs and you know anime fans might uh, you know know that conundrum uh, where you can choose in my yeah, I I grew up in uh, Belgium, which you know, uh, longtime listeners may uh, be aware of that. Uh, Belgium is a country that, luckily, um, mostly features uh, foreign media with subtitles. So uh, I was fairly fluent in 
like the basics of quite a few languages because I was I was watching shit in English. I was watching shit in French, German, uh, whatever. Uh, I, I could pick out words from most from most languages. However, I have a little sister and, you know, <laughs> I'm not sharing with Caitlin, mom, <laughs> uh, that uh, we, we, of course, we did not buy <laughs> multiple copies of Bone Storm. It was just uh, uh, one, one tape per family, of course. And unlike, you know, kids, kids of the future, of the era of tomorrow, we would have to make a choice subs or dubs because we're only buying one tape and you know m my sister being little and not being able to read it the choice was made for years that we were buying dubs and i was i could read pretty well i was like a i, I could read it like four or five or something and i it kind of bugged me because I was like, you could, you know, maybe not quite, you know, like those um, comedy um, sort of, um, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Steve Odekirk um, with the Kung Pao, like the comedy bad dubbings. It wasn't, it wasn't quite that bad, but like, you could definitely tell that like, I was, I was perspicacious enough of a kid to see mouths not not um synchronizing i, I guess it was um jokes not entirely working or like signs in a movie not not uh, being what they were you know what they were saying they were um so it kind of bugged me that i was all the all the cartoons in the house were were dubbed <laughs> and um at one point, I was old enough to go to uh, the the movie theater. It was my uh, my first my first ever movie in a theater was Jurassic Park. My second was The Lion King. And um, my little sister, being too little to go to the cinema, uh, it was just me and my dad. And so, of course, I chose to see a screening with subs, and it was it was fucking awesome. It had uh, you know, it had jokes and puns that I got, and it was uh, it it was just it, it felt like a real movie instead of like a movie like with the volume off and people talking over it so that babies could understand. You know, uh, and um, yeah, it felt like um, and because it was only the second movie I'd ever seen uh, next to Jurassic Park, which was a very adult movie, it had like people dying in it and stuff it was it, it kind of felt like a cartoon that was bigger and more epic you know and a real adventure uh, and having recently done a bit of a disney rewatch lion king does feel different from previous ones it does feel a lot more epic it doesn't have the um uh alan menken like howard ashman or um uh, what's the other guy's name uh uh, uh, Stephen Schwartz, that, that's the name. Um, the um, it has Hans Zimmer. It has one of the earlier uh, Hans Zimmer scores. It has a big uh, like movie score, and um, it's got it's got uh, a relatively high amount of death in it. 
you know, still nothing uh, over G, but um, so it really felt like a cartoon that uh, that was epic. You know, it, it felt very much like a like a big fantasy epic uh, because, and and of course, they have the personal background of me being taken away as a little kid to go see it in the cinema in its real language and like a few months later my uncle a new guy that could get a bootleg tape of the lion king and and he asked me did i want it i was like oh yeah sure and of course it was an american bootleg tape uh so it didn't have subs so for a very long time it was the only tape in the house that was just full-on english uh, the only English cartoon in the house. Uh, and so that that left The Lion King being a f or feeling like a very special uh, Disney cartoon. It, it felt very much like <laughs> like my own copy of Bone Storm, <laughs> as it were. Like a, one that I didn't really um, have to sort of, um, I want to say share, because we, we did share it. I, we did watch it together. Like the, the story is visual enough that you can mostly tell what's going on even if you don't understand the words i think as a little kid you know uh and but it was one that i needn't compromise because of what my mom thought was more appropriate for my younger sibling you know what i mean because it's not like i didn't want my younger sibling to see that stuff i was like oh but she'll grow up and she'll learn to read and she'll you know, she, she'll, she'll get it. And even without the subs, with the bootleg version, she got it. You know, she, she, she get that Scar is the meanie pants and Timon and Pumbaa are the funny ones. They fart and stuff. You get that, you know. Uh, and, oh, Mufasa trampled. That's sad, you know. Um, so, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it felt like in my personal journey as a movie lover, it felt like a weird sort of twilight space between big people movies and little kid movies yeah and even if that whole language thing hadn't happened i i think it it does sort of play its fantasy epic thing kind of because it's like obviously it's set in the african jungle it's not set in a fantasy world but there's no humans you know it's, it's not like um it's not like, I don't know, Rescuers Down Under, which also has some very beautiful nature shots and some cool adventure set pieces. But, you know, it's still, you know, save a boy from a poacher. And here it's about a king who is usurped by his evil brother. You know, it could have been a fantasy epic. Absolutely. It just happens to be lions. Um, and, um, yeah, gosh, that that um, that epic uh, soundtrack. And, you know, it's got some great songs. Absolutely love the songs as well. But Zimmer's score is kind of, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I mean, and the generally Hans Zimmer is pretty respected, but people mostly talk about, I don't know, um, like Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, the, the, the Gladiator, uh, you know. Dark Knights. Uh, Yes, Dark Knight, Inception. Um, I'm not sure if people talk about The Lion King, which I think is a really fantastic score if you um, listen to the instrumentals between uh, the the songs. Yeah, uh, which I think and, probably, you know, if people think of, like, the soundtrack, they think of the Tim Rice, Elton John songs. Yeah, first right. and foremost, uh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And and those are great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's got a great villain song, Kuna Matata, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, Circle of Life. These are all karaoke classics, as it were. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the, there was that um, weird development um, phase where for a moment, it was just going to be a more straight up like nature movie with no songs. Um, but then they're like, no, 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 the songs are big right now. Uh, like Aladdin and uh, Beauty and the Beast had gotten uh, where that formula was working. So no, no, no put, in, put songs in there. So they did. And, uh, you know, not, not to his detriment. The songs are good. But uh, when I recently rewatched it, I actually found it worked a lot in the same way that um, John Milius' Conan the Barbarian does where there's a lot many long stretches of just landscape and the basil polidorus score is telling the story and being kind of melancholy and very operatic and uh, i was really struck by how and like i said earlier uh, my, my little sister who did not speak the language yet uh could could follow along so it it, it did feel like big and veterinarian and you know um it, it felt like you were seeing an epic for kids and an opera for kids almost, even, even if there hadn't been songs. Um, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit, uh, um, oh, what's it, uh, Hamlet, <laughs> you know, Hamlet for kids. Yeah, if you yeah, want. yeah. So, uh, yeah. And um, <laughs> another little um, personal anecdote. I had the Sega Genesis game. <laughs> which, oh boy. Yeah. I remember which, that game. I could speed run that shit in like 20 minutes, I think, by the Ooh, end. I, yeah. I, could, I could do that thing. I knew exactly where all the villains would pop up. I knew where the power-ups were. Mm, better uh, player than me. Better player than me at that game, definitely. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, I didn't have a lot of uh, games. We, we didn't have a lot of money. So I would have to stretch games out for a very long time. So uh, I, I came to know that game very well, <laughs> and uh, the, it had a it had a very good like sixteen um, bit MIDI rendition of the Hans Zimmer score. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a pretty good uh pretty good adaptation of like taking that movie to the video game, the sixteen bit format. Right, right, right. I think um I think Aladdin is also highly um highly thought of yeah you can actually buy those both as a uh, like a classic video game package now on current on current consoles oh like on switch or something switch and uh the ps and xbox Mm. and whatnot yeah i should check out the ps store later yeah part of the kind of retro okay um the only thought that i before i give my decision on this because obviously you love it. You think it's worthy of being on the top 100. My only thought that I will give is this. Um, before, now, listeners, before we start recording, we were talking a little bit about Disney animation and the different eras and their ups and their downs. And I'll say this. So Lion King comes, you know, right after Little Mermaid and Rescuers Down Under and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. Um, and it just feels, with the exception of maybe rescuers, it's it's hit after hit. The the house, the mouse house is building back the reputation. Right, right, right. There's the opening scene, of course, the much beloved circle of life scene, one mm-hmm, of the greatest mm-hmm. openings. And you know, I still watch that opening scene 
in the climax of that scene where, you know, Rafiki, you know, lifts up baby Simba to the skies and the heavens open and the animals cheer and they bow. And then the, you know, song crescendos with circle of love. And then boom, <laughs> title screen, the little, yeah. the Lion King. And I'm like, in retrospect, it's like, I think no matter how good in whatever theoretical future circumstances you may think, I think it would have been hard for any animated Disney movie to have the same effect as that moment. Like as soon as it, as soon as like that whole sequence crescendos with the song and then it hits with the Lion King title screen, it's like, yeah, yeah, this is, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's already establishing its bona fides right at the start. Right, and right. I don't, and again, there would be good and great animated films afterwards, but after opening like that, how do you compare? that is that is very hard to like try to recreate that same swell of emotion you know what i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i think it's with that and everything you said that i will decide <laughs> that the lion king will be on the top 100 so welcome to to the eytm top 100 lion king all right the king has returned exactly <laughs> we celebrated the lion king it, it was obviously such a gigantic su success in 1994 um but what was its competition in 1994 well we can talk <laughs> about the competition by go ahead and diving into thumbelina i love love stories don't you once upon a time in a land far far away She's a funny little squirt. A very small girl, no bigger than a thumb. I wish I were big. Don't ever wish to be anything but what you are. And an impossible dream of finding her one true love. Let me be your only love. We'll live happily ever after. But before her fairy prince could claim her heart. She's gonna marry the fairy prince. Well, perhaps. She was stolen from her home. Thumbelina's gone. Who did it? A toad. And lost to a very big world. I'll find her. You are going to marry my son? Oh, no, no, no. Thumbelina! I hear that she loves the fairy prince, right? Are you really gonna marry? Fairy Prince? Yes. <laughs> well, then follow your heart. It will lead you home. Yeah. Sure to do impossible things. From the enchanting pages of Hans Christian Andersen's storybook classic <laughs> and the imagination of Don Bluth, director of an American tale, comes a magical ride in a world brought to life by the music of Barry Manilow. Oh, Thumbelina. I love great romances. Thumbelina, nothing is impossible if you follow your heart. A lovely story. Thumbelina, directed by Don Bluth and Gary Goldman, 
was released on March 30th, 1994. It stars Jody Benson, Gary Imoff, Joe Lynch, Gilbert Gottfried, and many others. It is the only full-length theatrical adaptation of the classic story written by Hans Christian Andersen. Obviously, that story, as many a classic fairy tale, uh, has been adapted many times. But weirdly, this is this movie that we're discussing is the only uh, movie adaptation, theatrical movie adaptation. Uh, I know that there's a Barbie (laughs) version of this, a CGI (laughs) Barbie version that uh, you know, if you grew up with those CGI Barbie movies that were direct-to-video, that you know, there's a lot of nostalgic love for it but this is the only uh this is the only one released in theaters thus far maybe not so much thumbelina but the man behind thumbelina is kind of a figure we've always sort of danced around in our podcast uh history even going back to our previous podcast monster island commentaries we would bring up don bluth a lot and just how strange and odd his work was and now we finally can kind of dig right in uh we can get right into the oeuvre of don bluth and technically it's not the first time we've done a something related to don bluth. oh yeah uh, we did yeah of course we did the xanadu <laughs> we did xanadu and don bluth uh animated the fish scene the fish sequence in xanadu and uh supposedly he has uncredited work on the black cauldron because he was a disney animator at the time of that movie's very right, long right. troubled production uh but yeah no this is this is a full don bluth production we're doing and uh it's interesting because he's a guy who mm. had such a whatever you may think about the quality he had a staggering amount of work in the 80s and 90s prominent to our generation luana to the to to us babies growing from the 80s to the 90s so many of the animated features were part of our childhoods and yet i think because his work kind of stopped once the 2000s hit he's kind of someone who doesn't really take prominence anymore or mentions anymore yeah right um in fact he's so there's such a stark cutoff after well yeah 2000 that was titan ae yeah after tight his last film titan ae yeah uh, that was 2000 that was just straight up 2000 right? straight up 2000 yeah yeah yeah. wow that's almost a, a cosmic coincidence mm-hmm. we're like uh, nope uh don bluth is a figure of the 20th century thing. yeah um and even even more so like his his glory days were full on the 80s um mm-hmm. uh because the 90s yeah i guess he had that one uh uh anastasia was was a financial success yeah i mean just uh, to give a brief history because i think we could probably just do an entire don bluth full-length episode but just to briefly go over his work mm-hmm. he was a guy who started at disney but started at disney during kind of the rough era post walt disney death in which the animation department you know would sometimes turn out respectable hits but they there there was the magic was kind of gone from it um from films from the animation department so bluth left eventually left disney kind of disillusioned because he was always a, a huge disney fan growing up but eventually left and would form his own animation company and starting in the 80s would would produce movies like the secret of nim and uh land before time an american tale all dogs go to heaven 
and whatnot. And then continuing into the 90s with stuff like Thumbelina, Anastasia, Rockadoodle, Pebble and the Penguin, and Titan AE. Um, with Don't a, forget a troll in Central Park. A troll in Central Park. That, a lot of ups and downs. But like you said, the 80s when he kind of first started striking out on his own with stuff like uh, Nim and American Tale and Land Before Time, those were hits. And it seemed like he was Man. like, okay, this guy has a different take on kids animation and i think he could be a worthy rival of disney because disney wasn't in such a great uh spot at the time during the 80s but then as we talked about with lion king disney was getting back into the swing of things starting with the little mermaid and then that renaissance golden era pretty much continued throughout the 90s and unfortunately that's when blue's movies really started to struggle yeah, it's it's so weird how how strongly there's a cutoff point where you can like glory days, 80s, struggle, 90s, 21st century quits. Yeah. Like, that that's full on how it went. I'm trying to see um in the 90s but, his only real big hit was Anastasia. Right. Um it, which was like a good success, but then uh-huh. uh I, kind of using that cloud to make Titan AE Titan AE like bomb so bad that I was like nope forget it you're right actually Titan AE was a movie that bombed so badly that it essentially shut down Fox animation <laughs> uh from feature for or at least uh, Fox feature animation and that's why they would eventually move to the CGI studio Blue Sky who would do the Ice Age movies for Fox and what the what if uh i think they did um what was it the fucking um the quest for camelot was that them with the two-headed dragon i think that that might have been warner brothers okay right right. that might have been the war the the warner brothers animated movie they made before iron giant (laughs) big big quality disparity there (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah yeah oh god that's yeah in a way because like we've we've it's easy to joke about don blues because you know he's he's a bit like tarantino and like feet you know like mm-hmm. he, you can point to this and that and they're like yeah that's that's don blues but when he's good he's he's pretty good um like i think secret of nim is 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 real good mm-hmm. um i think uh one before time yeah yeah i mean yeah, american tale yeah sure um thumbelina less so less so yeah <laughs> um yeah because this is his first this is his first it's not this is his first uh technically tech you could you could debate the semantics but technically it's it's like his first princess movie uh yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. because otherwise it's like yeah you have dinosaurs and mice and you know Mm -hmm. well actually a lot of mice in his filmography now i'm thinking (laughs) about it um but yeah but thumbelina is his first and it feels like his first or his most commercial movie to date, right? Because otherwise, like, I mean, not that his other movie. Here's the thing that I find very interesting about the, about Mr. Bluth is that, like, the thing, as you said, the thing that a lot of people will point to as, like, man, Don Bluth movies, huh, is that they tend to be very pretty dark and pretty <laughs> scary for kids, right? That right. They're movies that are obviously meant for and marketed towards children, and yet 
there's levels of scariness or small levels of adult content that one would not expect. But what I find interesting about Bluth is he's not someone I would consider like a Ralph Bashke type, like someone who, yeah, who, yeah, who like Bashke wanted to do animation for adults, but had to often uh, work in family entertainment or kind of butt heads with the expectations of family entertainment right, 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 uh, right. get going in the industry. But Bluth wasn't that like Bluth grew up a Disney animation fan and he right, yeah. mm-hmm. always, again, no matter how dark his movies end up becoming, he always made movies for mass audiences, for families, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. for something so kids could watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so it isn't like he's with, you know, obviously creatively he butted heads a lot, but it wasn't like he ever felt like constrained by animation being for kids or for families. Like he was making it for them. His sensibilities just always ran more darker and more macabre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like it's so wild that he left Disney because of, you know, execs stifling him and you know budget cuts and you know the as as was this as was disney's want during the dark age and by the time thumbelina rolls out he's just essentially doing disney ripoffs like yeah. well, well, thumbelina is essentially ariel mm-hmm. uh story-wise you know i mean getting does. getting jody benson the voice of ariel. oh yeah it is of course fuck it oh god do yeah. the voice of thumbelina even uh-huh. yeah yeah oh my gosh <laughs> i wasn't even thinking of that yeah. yes <laughs> um and yeah you got you know got getting barry manilow to do the songs like elton john doing the lion king songs or you know um you, you can definitely feel that there are definitely more commercial aspects being put into this movie than maybe previous movies yeah, absolutely. And and that's kind of crazy cuz um I dare say that that like sort of weird sensibility like that for kids or for families but with a touch of the macabre is actually what made his previous work well work, you know? Um I think that there is I, I'm not I'm not very well versed in uh, Bluth's belief systems. Uh, he's he's of course a Mormon. He's a he's a part of the Church of Latter Day Saints. He even went to do missionary work uh, for a few years in the seventies. But as someone who grew up Catholic, I I feel <laughs> vibes there. I mm-hmm. get what because like there's a sort of um. He, he worked on The Rescuers. Uh, and uh, Fox and Hound was the last one that he was credited on, I believe. And I think those are very, you know, uh, uh, I'm not going to say Catholic or Mormon. I'm just going to say Christian, a certain type of Christian um, narrative with like this wide-eyed innocent at the mercy of you know, these cruel um, sort of dark worlds or yeah. depressing um, the confluences of, uh, of, um, of circumstance. 
and they just well boy they just gotta believe and they'll be rescued you know you'll you'll have your you'll have your redemption if you just you know pray and believe that's that was that was penny in the that was penny in the rescuers um the uh, the fox what's his name um oh what was the fox's name it's been a while so uh whatever the fox yeah the <laughs> fox know, he... that fox from the fox and the hound <laughs> that that particular fox mm-hmm. uh you know he accepts that you know uh the 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 that's just uh nature's way that's uh you know pe- people be different and you gotta accept your lot in life mm-hmm. you know, even if you even if you aim for peace and not conflict you know there are certain rules that you can't break and um in blues films that there's you know there's that whole that whole struggle in hardship and 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 reaching paradise you know littlefoot in the green valley and mm-hmm. uh uh literally charlie b barkin going to heaven <laughs> you know uh, or five old trying to uh make it in america yeah 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 <laughs> irony <laughs> but, um, yeah no uh, and um Thumbelina is is that too like she does nothing she has no agency whatsoever yeah she's just she's just nice she does a lot of hoping and wishing and praying mm-hmm. um and you can tell that uh Snow White was very formative for Bluth because uh, mm-hmm. there's that sort of um uh <laughs> Thumbelina has and this is this is often the case for bluth heroines in fact anastasia is pretty is pretty uh expressive i feel but there's a lot of bluth heroines that are just kind of beatifically like stultified yes yes <laughs> I, I was, a, it was really sticking out to me this rewatch time right that the, the, they seem to be happy but like they 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 also seem to be like there's a there's a sort of con I don't even want to say like oh they're they're just dumb but uh, as if they perceive the world differently like yeah literally. um they're just happy and smiley and pretty and oh so nice and mm-hmm. if I can just hope and wish and maybe you know and I I wonder where that because like obviously in the in the nineteen thirties that that that's what a movie heroine did you just kind of looked pretty and yeah, and yeah. Uh, sang a song and waited until the prince that you know has two minutes of screen time comes to save you mm-hmm. but it's like Bluth never like updated the idea of what mm-hmm. of what a heroine did mm-hmm. um so it, it's um. Uh, yeah, the Thumbelina is is very much, especially in you know, it's a it's a post post Ariel, post Bell, post post Jasmine world. Mm-hmm. So Thumbelina being a very um sort of Snow White ish throwback. Yeah, I mean, must have felt weird even in '94. Uh, what yeah, do you think? yeah. I mean, if there has, to, I mean, there are a lot of detriments to this movie, unfortunately. And yeah, it's the fact that. The Thumbelina herself is a really poorly written character. Um, I'd even even say that, like, you know, you bring up the comparisons to like Snow White and other type 
Disney princess characters of the era like Cinderella and whatnot. But I would even say that even those Disney princesses of that uh, older era, I feel still have at least a bit more character than Thumbelina. Right. Like Thumbelina uh -huh. is just introduced as like, as like she's just a, a naive waif, a naive girl <laughs> right. uh -huh. and with no agency. But it's so, and it's so terrible because this, because <laughs> I, uh, I don't quite remember the story of Thumbelina, but uh, I'm sure like, you know, when it's a classic tale and a girl and it's just a little girl going from like crazy creature to crazy creature, you know, <laughs> it's fun and episodic. But if like Thumbelina is supposed to be, oh, well, Thumbelina, she's so beautiful. Oh, the <laughs> singing voice. Oh, my goodness. You have to have that character be interesting. And, you know, obviously <laughs> these days people have their complaints about ariel from the little mermaid about oh no mm -hmm. you know she shouldn't have to you know be so boy crazy or, or give up her right. agency just to be with a boy but it's like but at least i know ariel at least i know her <laughs> personality and i and she has the big i want song right, right. a part of your world whereas thumbelina is so sketched out i mean i don't quite know if again this was just bluth trying to aim for disney era money but it really does feel like he's doing bare minimum stuff uh, like 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 we move pretty quickly song the introduction is pretty quick like we get just a very quick book introduction of the of like thumbelina's mom getting the seed from the witch which we don't even see we see it in like book pages right right <laughs> and then very quickly we have two quick songs of like oh thumbelina she's on the farm yeah yeah yeah, yeah. She's, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah and then thumbelina sings her her i want song but they're not really that memorable so it, <laughs> it really does feel she feels really uh facile and and in the worst way like i i find that like if anyone has complaints about the disney princesses it's like yeah but thumbelina have you seen thumbelina have you seen uh I, I will say this i have an interesting story about seeing thumbelina now that i am bringing this up so uh <laughs> okay when did you see thumbelina i saw it in the 90s on vhs okay so i have a story to tell so okay <laughs> uh so something that is probably not known but when this movie was released in theaters uh <laughs> even though it is technically now a fox movie it was originally distributed in theaters by Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. And to help boost ticket sales, they also attached an Animaniacs short cartoon okay. <laughs> to the front of Thumbelina, an original short film called I'm Mad. And so when I was little, I loved Animaniacs. I loved the cartoon. So obviously I see the commercials. They're like, oh my, God. Uh, you know, hey, Thumb with Thumbelina, there's an Animaniacs cartoon. You have to come see Thumbelina to see the Animaniacs cartoon. <laughs> and so, you know, I tell my mom, it's like, hey, who takes me to go see the movies? I'm like, yeah, mom, I want to, you know, we should go to that. We should go to that because <laughs> I love Animaniacs. So right. we go to the theater and we watch the short and the short is okay. Uh, <laughs> Um, it, it's it's a what it's a musical short where they sing a song about going to the carnival and it's fine uh, okay short ends thumbelina starts up and i uh, 
parent and I just remember I was not having it. And I think my mom could tell that I was like squirming and like Aww. not being happy. And I and it wasn't because it was like a quote unquote girly movie. Like I had sat and watched, you know, Beauty and the Beast and right. and, and uh-huh. the like, but like she could tell that I was not having a good time. So after maybe 20 minutes of the movie, uh she took me out of the theater. <laughs> into the lobby uh-huh. and he asked me he's like are you you know are you having a good time I'm like no nah, i thought the, i thought the animaniac short was gonna be longer and so while we're having this conversation right. two theater employees are also out in the lobby <laughs> and they're just kind of you know hanging out it's not a busy day and they see us and they come up to us and they're like, hey, what's going on here? And then mom, mom explains, oh, you know, you know, he really wanted to see the Animaniac, sure. But, you know, he, he doesn't like, you know, the Thumbelina movie and whatnot. And so the theater employee goes, well, you know, sorry about that. Sorry, you're not having a good time. Tell you what, um, we're about to start another movie in another theater uh-huh. Um, which, of which we don't have an audience for. If you want to, we can just let you go see that. Oh, and so, nice. and so we did go see that movie. And let me tell you, uh, even though it started out with me being kind of underwhelmed by the Animaniac shorts, definitely underwhelmed by Thumbelina. Mm-hmm. At by the end of our theatrical time, I had thoroughly laughed my ass off at Ace Ventura Pet Detective. <laughs> now, now, that is a fantastic anecdote. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, yes, in retrospect, there's definitely problematic stuff in Ace Ventura Pet Detective. <laughs> but like to my little mind, who was so underwhelmed, who was so disappointed by the cartoons <laughs> that I had to leave, seeing Jim Carrey doing funny stuff with his talking button animals, uh, that, that made up for it. How old, how old were you? Nine. <laughs> like there's definitely stuff in Ace Ventura that is not really okay for nine. Oh, definitely not. But I still thought, I, again, I remember laughing it up and like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Jim Carrey's <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, that that's my Thumbelina story. <laughs> oh gosh, that's that's fantastic. God, nineteen ninety four. What a year! What a year! <laughs> Not a good year for Don Bluth because this movie fucking bombed. Thumbelina and going back to Thumbelina, I gotta say this: there's something I never realized this about Bluth's animation, uh, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it for a while and i and and because i'm not you know the most well-versed in animation maybe i i won't be doing the the best job explaining this but like the thing i suddenly was aware of like well what makes his movies different there is something about when you watch one of his movies that feels different from any other movie for kids when you watch it and one thing that i think got to me was like it feels like his characters are always moving. Like, even when they're standing still, there's something, whether it's limbs or eyes darting back and forth, they're always constantly in motion. Almost in the sense that, like, if those characters have a, are supposed to stop, then, like, 
if, even if they're supposedly the uh, action is to stop, their body will like slightly drift or slightly float. And I think that works if your cartoon, if the characters are really caricatured. Like it works in Thumbelina with like, you know, the, the bugs and the frogs and all these other. But it kind of gets uncanny valley when it comes to more human characters like Thumbelina and the prince. Cause then it feels like it like it, I think that le- that's probably why that beatific uh, uh look happened because it seems like when it seems like a character will like talk, 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 but then when they stop. It's almost like they're like zoned out, but their body is still <laughs> right, moving. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it, it kind of get and it was kind of getting disturbing when on this rewatch, like, oh, this this is like unappealing. Right. right. Um, and then otherwise, like it, it's it's contrast when like when the characters do move, it's almost as though like Bluth is always has to do like constant kind of really almost constant like hand waving action. Like it's always action. There isn't like a lot of like small graceful characteristics it's like big arms go up or the or you know the faces go big like there's not like it's either like the characters are going really wild with their animation or they're back to that kind of stopped but floaty style and again i think it works for like the the funny looking characters but like when it comes to the humans it starts to be like this is kind of unappealing yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've had that with Bluth in the past, even in the better ones, like American Tale. Whenever there's a human, it's like, ah, uh, you know, it's like he, he doesn't quite put as much, I don't know, uh, care. I don't know. Um, I think the... there's, I think there's something with Bluth where, huh? I know we've been talking him up, but I gotta say this: I do appreciate the man. I do appreciate, mm-hmm. you know, that. You know, he came about at a time where Disney probably needed a competitor. We're probably, yeah, and you know, absolutely, we need more animation. Is so, you know, has such a diverse field that we need more styles of animation than just you know what the the three big studios are going to give us. Obviously, absolutely. and the yeah. fact that Blues could for a while carve out, you know, some part of the market is great. I'll say creatively though. While I do like some of his movies, he does occur to me as someone who is an idea guy, but I think he probably needs someone to direct him or kind of supervise him, uh, that vision, you know? Yeah, yeah, like like Spielberg and Lucas, in fact. <laughs> yeah, who, uh, you know, who, you know, they had, who uh, oh. they produced both American Tale and... Uh, Land Before Time. Land Before Time, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I think that that sort of um, that darkness. Is, gosh, you know, I, I think he is. I think Secret of Nim is his best one. Yeah, uh, and his first one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a he. That was a very good point you made about like there's he rarely ever does like just small graceful movements uh people are constantly uh moving about and making <laughs> making uh making moves as it were yeah. uh, it's like the it's like <laughs> it's almost like the uh 
joke from Talladega Nights when Ricky Bobby's being interviewed. He's like, I don't know what to do with my with hands. My hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, and and that absolutely. But you comes put that dark magic on me, Don Bluth. <laughs> uh, the um, I I think it also translates to some uh, to many character designs actually. I was looking at the um, like the barnyard animals. They all have these little touches that are just a little too much, a little over designed. Like the why is why is the why is why does the dog also have a blonde mustache and a red exactly, nose? Exactly, yeah, and, and like a little bald cap of hair, like. Dogs don't go bald that way. Like, I get that you want to humanize him and make, make him look like an old guy, but you don't have to go that far. It just makes him look weird, you know? Mm-hmm. There's, there's like cute little bug kids, and like they are, they're, they're like these little minstrel guys with big lips and a red nose. Oh. And I mean, you know which ones I'm talking about? Like, oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And, and it's like, it, it like, like Thumbelina herself, like she is a complete throwback to like 1937 Snow White, you know, always got the blush makeup on, just mm-hmm. kind of like, hey, yay, happy, smiling. And like, so the little cartoon sidekicks are like these sort of semi got their DNA and minstrel caricatures. And you're like, you know, um, Disney, Disney's not doing that anymore in 1994 for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, hey, made and- it. That's that Mormonism, maybe. maybe no, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and 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 there were several points in the movie where I was like, oh gosh, you know, for a movie that has you know pretty decent like character background work and effects work with like lighting, uh, mm-hmm. like sparkle effects and stuff, there's a lot of unappealing character design in this. Yeah, uh, like either overly designed or just too cutesy or like too saccharine or like uh too um too high femme for the ladies you mm-hmm. know without any real sense of style yeah um i think that blues like you said need he needs to be reined in uh i think that earth tones and nature and like a bit of squalor is what <laughs> you know like think of think of the rats of nim think of think of the ghetto in new york think of uh you know the cretaceous period mm-hmm. uh, these are all but like once you start getting him into ball gowns and sparkles it's it's it, or or you know the, the cute but not beholden to uh to to any uh, sort of natural setting like these sort of humanoid bugs then mm, no 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 he, he's, he's he's free of constraints and it and it won't end well <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah it's a it's a shame though because like he de- he definitely has it in him and like you said he i i feel that animation in the west is something that needs so much more diversity than there is you know i'm not just talking about like you know i don't know racial or uh like gender diversity or whatever but like just actual stories being told there's a blues interview where he says that like stuff animation in america is so cordoned off 
to like the nursery, as it were, that um, it's so like culturally codified as being for kids that a lot of kids actually have like a period in their lives where they literally say, cartoons, I don't watch that stuff, that's for kids, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and the, if, you know, you, you go see any, like, comics or cartoons that teenagers are watching, it's going to be anime, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of, a, you know, scandalous that, um, that we still haven't you know bluth said that in the 80s and we still haven't gotten out of there you know we still yeah. haven't gotten out of that ghetto we're not making um we're, we're not making an animated action movie you know we're there's no western i don't know ghost in the shell or something yeah you know? right yeah it's still um, it's still very much i think those movies are still coming from you know the europe and asia yeah. and whatnot you know those yeah. who have kind of more embraced uh the full you know and again that's why it feels at times um i a little mean to talk about these criticisms of blues because it's like i don't think a lot of those instincts are incorrect mm -hmm. i think he's very I, but it's but yeah i think and again there's nothing wrong with like being an idea person who maybe also yeah. needs a little bit of guidance in uh you know teamwork from other people other collaborators that's that's how film works and and uh yeah it's it's inter you know and um it's interesting how bad all these songs are i don't like any of these songs that uh these are these come from barry manilow which like it's weird because i don't hear isn't it weird that this is a <laughs> that there is no that he doesn't like voice a, a funny a funny animal yeah in this right movie? Uh, yeah you think like maybe maybe the gilbert godfrey beetle you know gilbert he's a godfrey gets a song even though barry manilow is responsible for the soundtrack <laughs> God, and like he's like you know, fucking Jody Benson as not Ariel, and like Beetleman is basically not Iago, too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh my god, and then I mean, uh, hey, look, they managed to get uh Gilbert Godfrey singing before they gave Iago two songs in the return of Jafar, <laughs> return of Jafar, because <laughs> that's what that's what we wanted. That was that's what was missing from Aladdin more Gilbert Gottfried songs. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's terrible. Um, yeah, it, it it feels very long, too, it, even though this movie is, like, barely... It's an hour 26 minutes, I think. But this movie is so, like, episodic and, like, you can never soak in any character for too long because they're immediately doing their forgettable song and they're ugly <laughs> and you don't like them and they're not funny um yeah i i don't know it, it feels like i'm just for all the nice things i've been saying about blues it does feel like a dumping on but like yeah this is clearly a low light for him and uh yeah it, it's it's a uh, I what is do you think the environment that blues does um here's an interesting point so after the land after an, an american tale uh, um bluth splits ways with uh steven spielberg and amblin entertainment and then amblin for a short while 
has their own animation studio uh, that makes an American Tale Five Goes West. We're back at Dinosaur Store, <laughs> and one other movie I'm forgetting. Um, Balto. But, Balto, that's right. But those feel like Bluth-like movies, but don't right. have his involvement. And it's like, do you think he would have? I mean, I don't exactly know what the split was, but it's like, do you think he he should have stuck with Spielberg during the '90s, and he would have survived into the 2000s? You think? Hmm, a good question. Because, like, I mean, it, it's not like uh, Fifel Goes West and We're Back and Balto are such beloved classics, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, not, it's not like, oh, Don, if you'd hitched your ride to those three movies. I mean, hmm. But do you think he could have been, like, the Amblin guy or the Amblin animation guy? Like, their, um, who would be, uh, you know, Cancelled guy, but like their John Lasseter or yeah, their, right, their, right, right. Uh, currently okay, now, no, I could see that. Doctor Jennifer Lee. I mean, Bluth also does seem like the guy who does not like being part of a bigger system too. So mm-hmm. maybe he still right, right. fucked off at some point. But it's like, you know, it that it, it could have been something. I I don't know because cert, it certainly did not work out in the nineties with like Troll in Central Park and Pebble and the Penguin and Rocket Beetle. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, that probably could have gone better. But yeah, I, I, I can't. You're, you're very right with he doesn't seem like a guy that likes being part of a, a bigger, you know, being a cog in a machine, you know? Exactly, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I guess no one likes it to some extent. But um, yeah, I, I wonder what if you know spielberg had uh, had let him ha- had let the leash go a bit looser than disney had because of course he had the blues had the uh misfortune of being with disney in like their darkest period yeah yeah, yeah had he been with disney in their renaissance what would have happened yeah do you think that's it do you think like that mistrust during like his his experience painted painted like that experience probably got him so bad it's like you know fuck this i don't need like the big studio to tell me what to do i i need to tell these stories on my own yeah i think so because like i mean and and, you know disney (laughs) at the best of times doesn't seem like the greatest uh work environment you can only imagine what it would have been with um with the constant budget cuts of of the 80s you know Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think I think uh, Bluth is just too idiosyncratic to to flourish in such an environment. Yeah. Now these days, Bluth uh, is still active. Um, he ha- I haven't checked this out, but he does have a YouTube channel um, huh? in which he intends on putting like short films uh, of him and uh, Gary Goldman, who also directed Thumbelina and was a pretty constant collaborator throughout his career um i know for a long time he was trying to get um either a dragon layer 3 video (laughs) game out because he's responsible for the dragon layer video games that (laughs) never happened and then he i know tried to either get a animated dragon layer movie off the ground which didn't happen or and i think he was trying to also get a dragon layer live action movie 
going, which I believe mm. might have had Ryan Reynolds attached at one point, but that ended up not happening as well. Oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds prank. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't read an interview or seen an interview with him in recent so i don't know how he feels about his legacy um but it look again for all i may say it's an interesting legacy and even if i am not necessarily a fan of those movies uh it is i'm glad that they exist for variety's sake you know right 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 yeah um absolutely and yeah you know it's um Sometimes, because if you let an artist be an artist, um, we're not—we're all just human, <laughs> you know. There's—they're gonna—they're gonna mess up, and sometimes we only have so many stories uh, in us, and that's fine, uh, you know. We can't—we're uh, not content machines, uh, and it's—it is actually while one can have a good laugh at a lot of stuff that Booth did. Uh, I think uh, his his spirit is uh, or like uh, his ideas or uh, are definitely something that we still need more of in uh, in, in animation in western animation at least. Mm-hmm. Well I think uh, I think for now that's all we have to say about the about the uh, filmography of Blue. So let's go ahead and get the wrap-ups. Um, so let's go ahead and go to Most Trashy, Least Trashy, where we talk about our least favorite and most favorite things about the movie. So Luana, uh, for you, what was the most trashy, least favorite thing about Thumbelina? Character designs. Just so many characters, really unpleasant to look at from the old minstrel kids to the old man dog to the uh, weird doll-like humanoids. Um, yeah, just, just, our blue that is worse. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Uh, you know, I don't mean to piggyback, but I'm going to go agree with you. It's the character design. It feels like, again, talking about like maybe Bluth needed an overseer, it feels like those character designs on their own are fun designs or they're interesting characters on their own, but then when you bring them all together, it starts to become really discombobulating. And, right, right, right. And uh, <laughs> yeah, look, uh, again, as we bemoan, you know, animation being stuck as being family entertainment, but this was meant as family entertainment, and if it and if it's meant for that purpose, your characters need to be kind of appealing, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but uh, let's move on to a more appealing part, which is least trashy, our most favorite thing about the movie. So, Luana, for you, what was your least trashy, most favorite thing about Thumbelina? You know what? <laughs> I'll say it. I, I like the Barry Manilow songs. They're fine. <laughs> Was the the Give Me Wings song? I, I I hummed that for a while after watching the movie. Was that was that Give Me Wings? Something like. Um... I watched uh, yeah. this movie a couple of days ago, and I don't even remember yeah. <laughs> how a lot of the songs go again. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying it's great or anything, but uh, you know, considering the 
the crap that they're surrounded with. I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's not entirely offensive. How about you? What what do you think? Ooh, ooh, this is a toughie for me because this was a pretty, uh, you know, not to give away too much, but this was pretty unappealing uh, to watch. So I am going to say, you know, even at his most inappropriate use in a movie, Gilbert Godfrey always makes me amused, even if he is totally not meant uh, for the movie. Uh, and he his voice is totally, I mean, I guess his voice is, fine for like the ugly world that don blues often <laughs> yeah. outside world for but you know the character doesn't work but i don't know it, it, it goes back to that kid mentality well, that's a funny voice and i like hearing the funny voice and uh <laughs> hey gilbert managed to get make a whole career off the funny voice so good for him yeah it's funny that like we we really have to dig for something yeah, <laughs> that yeah. we enjoy <laughs> Well, I guess that means we have to come to our final verdict, our final question, the ultimate question of this podcast. So, Luana, give us your final thoughts by answering the question, is Thumbelina a trash movie? Oh my gosh, yes. It is entirely unappealing. It's, it's, it's ugly and, and dumb. And while I thought, I mean, I guess I'm a rare, uh, I'm, I'm the one in 10,000 person that thought the songs weren't too bad. Um, they're in the service of nothing. It's an obvious cash grab. Uh, Jody Benson's presence reveals that they just wanted to do, you know, their version of Disney Renaissance musical, but without any of the charm. Uh, it's got the, it's got the poor waif uh, type of, you know, Christian movie mentality. Like Thumbelina is the type of movie that uh, I feel like Rod and Todd would be allowed to watch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, that, movie, it, that movie is technically guilty of the sin of envy, envious of the Disney ooh, Renaissance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> very true. Ooh, Thumbelina, you have the sin. <laughs> oh, envy. Envy of being the little mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that, imagining that that ram among the barnyard <laughs> i mean it would fit <laughs> it, that's a scary voiced animal so it fit in don blue's movies <laughs> yeah oh my god <laughs> now i'm imagining like the old dinosaur that that Littlefoot meets after the death of his mom, telling him that he too has sin. <laughs> the, the sin of idolatry. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so so yeah, it's a big old load of crap. What did you think? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm uh, again. I'm echoing a lot of your sentiments. This <laughs> is a trash movie. Um. And I think maybe this is an example of uh, if we have to talk about the divisions of where certain eras of Bluth animation was, this is the 90s was the era of him trying to maybe compete more with uh, yeah, right, Disney. Right. And maybe, uh, you know, we were just joking about the whole Simpsons riff of, you know, the sin of envy, but maybe <laughs> that is sort of the downfall. I mean, old, I mean, yeah, Anastasia ended up being successful. But it's why I think the earlier Bluth movies are more fondly remembered because it, it probably spoke to something more intricate in his artistic spirit than 
this and troll in central park and other stuff where it's clear where uh clearly those are movies meant to get the mass audience appeal where it's like yeah i don't know i don't know uh it's again bluth is a fascinating figure um frankly i would not be surprised if another one of his movies popped up on our podcast again um but uh yeah i mean i'm glad despite this movie being trash i am glad that blues left his footprint on the animation industry but uh yeah that'll do it for thumbelina and uh we're gonna be back in two weeks with a brand new episode with a brand new movie to cover and luana Uh look uh this movie that we just did was a failed attempt at capturing the kid audience so maybe we need to maybe we need to settle back and look at trying to appeal to the kids another way but this time with a with a trusted and proven to be popular franchise let's head back to the teenage mutant ninja turtles luana oh yeah i love the teenage mutant ninja turtles oh yeah Uh, very rarely did they bring out poor product i mean surely we won't focus on one of the most notorious instances of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Not at all. Well, because you said that you're one of the, you know, very rare people who actually enjoys the Thumbelina soundtrack. So I think it's <laughs> got to be very appropriate because you're obviously going to enjoy the soundtrack for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the coming out of their shells tour. Oh my gosh. I am, I'm, I'm 100% convinced that I will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. For, for for listeners who may be going, well, coming out of their shells tour, but yeah, real quick, there was a brief time in the year 1990 when the Ninja Turtles did a stage show that toured around the United States where they sang rock and, rock and roll songs. They put out an album, they put out a concert movie, and we're going to be <laughs> talking about all of that on the next episode. Ooh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh yeah, fun. I mean, uh, you know, hey, once you go back from feudal japan i mean what you gotta think about it <laughs> what, what what worlds are left to conquer <laughs> but the stage but the stage <laughs> um but anyway we'll, we will be talking about ninja turtles coming out of their shells in two weeks in the meanwhile you can follow the show on twitter at trash movie pod email the show at trash movie pod at gmail.com and if you're feeling especially nice and generous you can rate this show five stars on apple Podcasts or spotify in two weeks will be our episode on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like coming out of their shells tour. But until then, the defense rest. See ya. See ya.